She has young children. (laughs) And I can still channel that six-year-old pretty well. I remember stomping and slamming the door and walking down the driveway because my family was not treating me fairly. And I can feel the indignation and the certainty... And I got to the end of our gravel driveway and I was running away and my older brother came chasing after me and said, oh, we're going to miss you. (laughs) (laughs) I bought it at the time. But then what he said was, we will really miss you, but that means there's more spaghetti for the rest of us. (laughs) Oh, spaghetti. So it was in that moment that I realized, okay, I'm small, the world is not fair, my family is a mess, but I'm willing to trade off whatever it was at that point in time that was grotesquely, and I'm sure, terrible, for, okay, I recognize my family is fair to me in other ways, and fix my favorite. So we talk about fairness, and it is not until I was a parent that I go, oh, I get it. So fair is not the same as equal. And my two children, who are radically different, have different needs and different histories. And so if I treat them exactly the same, I'm actually not being fair. Maybe. It's something that we have to discuss over and over again because fairness underpins everything we do as a country and as a city and as a church, as a family. What's fair? What's fair? So that first reading, Jesus um, used parables to teach. And the scholars and the historians Suggests that that is the the parables are possibly the most direct link we have to what Jesus actually said and did. And that one parable only shows up in Matthew. Some of the other parables show up elsewhere. But Jesus was teaching in parables. And I can imagine several reasons why he might. So a parable is a story, yes but uses common elements mashed up together in a way that's uh, jarring, disorienting. Um, we all know about Zen cones. It's a, it's a similar kind of a parable, a, a puzzle, uh, a conundrum for you to think about. So like the Zen cone, one hand clapping, that maybe is the most famous that everyone knows. Yeah, you know what a hand is. You know what clapping is. You know what sound is, but what is the sound of one hand clapping? And crazy religious leaders say, think about that. Ponder that. And so that's Jesus' story, was ponder a world where workers show up at different times in the field and get paid the same. And a parable is different than, say, Aesop fables, where there's a clear moral at the end. The point of a parable is 
you have to come at it from a number of different ways, and there is no single right answer. So a parable about fairness says, you know, we've got to consider the cultural overlays and the history of people and the task we're asking them to do. Um, So Jesus, I think Jesus might have been using parables because he was clearly trying to disrupt the, the religious and political system of the day. He was clearly trying to bump up against the Roman Empire, the patron-client hierarchical system with his teachings. And so rather than teach directly and say, this is wrong, he's going to kind of dance around it so maybe the... Uh, Authorities don't quite notice or, or can hear in the parable what they need to hear. Didn't quite work out that way. But that's my, my story of why he uses parables and isn't so direct about this is what I want you to know and how I'm going to teach you. I also think he knew human nature pretty well. And I, when someone tells me this is right and that's wrong, my little... <laughs> I want you to do this. You're not going to tell me what to do, Toby Jenkins. <laughs> um, so I think Jesus was wise and said, okay, I'm going to teach them, but I'm not going to give them this black and white binary system. In fact, he was always pushing against the laws. His whole bump up against Judaism was all those Jewish laws. No, 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 no. You don't need all those Jewish laws. There are only two. To love whatever is bigger than you and to love your neighbor as yourself. So he was using the parables to teach and to have us think, so what is a fair wage? There are immigrant and migrant communities around the world who use that particular story to point out it makes no sense for a wage that is not a living wage to be given. And it's a question that we have to ask ourselves. There's a lot of touting of new jobs by different political leaders and in our newspaper. And if that job doesn't offer a living wage, is it really a job? Is it fair? Is it fair? So, so if Jesus is pushing against the Roman Empire and the patron-client system, that hierarchy, so who's at the top? Who's the patron? The emperor. And then the emperor has clients, and those clients are actually patrons of the clients underneath. So it's a competitive system that is, um, rewards greed, and greed interrupts community. So that may be what is really underlying that story, that greed and competitiveness keep us from being fully human. Okay, but if if a parable is not easily understood and simple and black and white, what if we come at it from a different direction? What if the story is not about economics or money or jobs at all, but about other kinds of work? the work of what it means to become fully human, what it means to be in community, what it means to 
interrupt your baser self who wants everything for themselves and begins to develop compassion and wisdom. And I think our our community is an example of understanding that people come to that at different points in their lives with different ideas, and we are willing to sit together knowing that everyone is in a different place in their spiritual journey. Some of you were smart enough and got up in the morning and started working on your spiritual journey when you were young, early in the morning. And some of us are a little slower to learn and come later in the day. But the work is the same. It's the same hard work with the same ultimate outcome, which is to be in the field picking grapes of love, of wisdom. And so, on some level, the pay is the same. So maybe the parable's about that. That our spiritual work is hard work and has to be done in community, and we come to it when we're ready, when we're no longer standing idle in the marketplace, and someone says, you, (laughs) I've got a cool place for you to come, and you might learn some things about yourself. Well, our Unitarian Universalist ancestors, and most of the Western Christian world today are not listening to Matthew and the story of the laborers in the vineyard. They're listening to the story of Jesus and his disciples. Jesus requisitions or borrows or it's not, it's not presented as cast, uh, cattle wrestling, but he takes a donkey and with his disciples rides into Jerusalem. So everyone else is hearing the Palm Sunday story where people know he's coming and they line the streets and the story is told that people lay down their cloaks and their palm fronds and it doesn't exactly say whether this is um, adulation or mockery although later in the story when they put a crown of thorns on him and name him the king of the Jews before they crucify him it's clearly Mockery. My experience in those kind of crowd settings, parades, that there are often people on both sides of the issue. So I'm going to guess that some people are there because they have heard about this man who uses parables and teaches how to push against the oppressive Roman Empire and the oppressive long list of Jewish laws and simplifies life and says love and living for something larger than yourself is what life is about. And then I am certain that there are people in the crowd who are going, yeah, yeah, he's the king. I'm going to pretend I'm putting down fronds because he's threatening my livelihood and he's threatening me as a patron and my clients. And I'm going to mock him. And I keep thinking about the Palm story, the Palm Sunday story as I hear about 
our political rallies and what's going on with Trump and Sanders and who's there and who's fighting. And that's what I'm picturing as Jesus walks into Jerusalem. Because we're not a tradition that embraces with gusto Easter or the supernatural version of resurrection, I'm going to just make the case that perhaps Palm Sunday is our holiday, our holy day, because we are willing to work against the traditions in our politics and our social life and our family life that are deadening and destructive and and we're going to bump up against all those people who are going to line us and go, come on, we are so glad you all are here and you all are devil's work. And that we have to be prepared for standing our ground and know that it's going to be both and. We're going to be mocked and we're going to be praised. We're going to be crucified and we need to know what we're headed into. So we are people of Palm Sunday. And having you here, Toby, talking about the Equality Center has got me thinking about all the ways that parades have changed the world. Suffragettes were marching in parades. Vietnam War. Equality for gays and lesbians, transgendered. That it's this being out on the street saying, this is where I stand. I'm, I'm pushing against the patron-client system. And I will take what comes. And I know I'm not alone. So I say we are people of Palm Sunday. So may we... May we join together reaping the fruits of the harvest. And I keep having an image of some of us come so late to this game that it's dark by this time. (laughs) So our job is not only to help those who come late, but if if the sun has gone down, we're going to be the ones with the torches and the flashlights and I know this group, we're going to be the ones with the solar panels and the solar lanterns because it's green, but we want you to see. And we want you to be with us changing the world. May it be so. One way we change the world is we give away our plate every single Sunday. And this month it goes to domestic violence intervention.